Hello and welcome to the Tight Lads Podcast with your hosts Jordan Donnelly, Abby O'Neill and Chesney Forks Porter. Enjoy. Hello everybody, how are you? I am of course joined today by my noble companions, the Tracy to my baker, Abigail O'Neill. Say hello Abby. Hi. And the dick to my dom, Chesney Fox Porter. Say hello, Chesney. Hello, Chesney. And welcome to Tidelands. And we are back. We had a two-week break. And I don't know about you guys, but it was just what the doctor ordered. I feel revived. I feel refreshed. And I feel ready to party. Uh, but it's not all fun and games because we got some unfinished business to attend to. Yes, it is legit musical theatre versus contemporary musical theatre round two. Ding, ding, bitches. And please give a warm welcome back to your former competitors, Miss Sadie Hurst and Miss <laughs> Chloe on Fry. Hi, Sadie. Hello, how are you? Hi, Chloe. Hi, yeah, you're right. I'm all right, Sadie. Sorry, I didn't answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> um, first of all, before we get going, I just wanted to say me and Chloe went for a lovely walk around Theatre Land today. It was lovely. It was lovely, wasn't it, Chloe? It was very nostalgic and uh, quite heartbreaking at the same time, but lovely day for it, wasn't it? Makes us excited for when it does all open up again. Definitely. But we'll get going. Okay, so... The last time I started out with a little bit of uh, like a vocal technique analysis of legit singing and I want to do the same with contemporary and what I am about to say was inspired by a comment someone made during a conversation about a year ago and I thought it was really really interesting and the comment was basically that music within jukebox shows is not designed to be sang eight times a week. And I feel like I am going to have to agree. And here's why. I feel like musical theatre songs are story driven. And therefore that will also influence what happens in the song vocally. Most MT songs have a structure that will often mean they start smaller and build throughout to essentially reach a climax. Uh, They have an arc. I suppose is a simple way of putting it. Uh, But music within jukebox shows, aka pop music, rock music, is written in a different way. For the most part, it is designed for, you know, a different purpose. It may not necessarily follow any kind of a story arc, and therefore, vocally, it doesn't really have any, any highs or lows, any ebbs or flows. It's just kind of at one, at one level the entire time. And of course, there are, this is a generalization, um, and there are many exceptions to that. But let's just say a massive bulk of the music that I'm talking about does kind of follow the point that I'm trying to make. And I do think it is much harder to sustain jukebox scores because even in, a, in really uh, challenging musical theater songs, let's say No Good Deed from Wicked that song is vocally really, really tough. However, because of the fact it is so story-driven, if the particular actress playing Alphaba at the time isn't vocally feeling 100%, she can make it work and have a slightly different vocal interpretation that's maybe holding back a bit, but she can still sing it in a way that serves the story. However, if you're singing Roar by Katy Perry, that song probably won't provide the same kind of story context and story background for you to have that type of flexibility. Sadie, Miss Pop Rock, what do you reckon? Just for the sake of a bit of variation, I'm going to disagree. Ooh. Um, yeah, I know. In my opinion, I think most people growing up getting into musical theatre, especially these days, like, 
they have grown up listening to the pop music that is now being used in these jukebox musicals. And I think if they're going, if they're singing in their shower, if they're singing just for fun and then they decide, oh, I'm going to go into musical theatre, they have probably got the background of singing pop music and singing in that style. So I think in terms of like, when, when you get your t- technique down, they're the songs that they've been singing all the time. So I feel like if you look at these pop stars, they're going out on tour, they're singing these songs say seven nights a week so I think drama schools need to employ a way to train these techniques to accommodate that because this is the way that the industry is going and if you take say like Heart of My Heart for instance from Rock of Ages that as an actress you have to take it and you have to find that story arc because if it's in the musical there's obviously a reason why it's been put there I understand that in jukebox musicals, it's to honour the music, but I think there's definitely a place for it. And I think that it makes sense to, as the actress, take it upon yourself to find that arc and find a reason. Chloe, how about you? I think it's quite dangerous to try and ask people to sing those songs eight times a week. It's a really difficult style to sing, but it's... (laughs) a very, very difficult style to sing healthily. And I think that it's dangerous because people can try and recreate and mimic the sound rather than actually training it in a way that's healthy for their voice. I think people now will grow up hearing pop stars sing in a way that's probably not that vocally healthy, but because they only have to do it, you know, once to record it, it's not that big a deal and won't damage their voice that much. And I think trying to incorporate things like you know the growls and the raspy tone to your voice without training properly is really dangerous and can cause a lot more damage than other styles I mean if you're trying to sing legit how much damage can you really do but I think that contemporary musicals and pop rock in particular are a lot more dangerous in terms of vocal health and I think it's probably unrealistic to get somebody to sing four five six huge numbers that don't follow a storyline they're hard hitting all the way through eight times a week and I think it probably leads to a lot more damage than we think. I'm kind of in the middle I've like I see both sides to it um but I think the main thing that like what Sadie was saying is all about vocal health and technique like if you have the technique for it then you should be able to do it eight times a week but then that's that goes for the same with legit because I find legit technique harder. I like to say when it came to my vocal reel, I found the legit part so much harder to record and get right compared to the contemporary. That's just because I'm more used to contemporary style and technique. Um, But I think as long as you have the right training, then, but then I think it's hard when going into a job, if you can sing it and it sounds good, like how do you always know if it's, if it's going to, be sustainable and you're going to be able to reproduce that same thing eight times a week. Sometimes I feel like longevity isn't necessarily considered. I mm. know that they do it with Alphaba now. Apparently I was listening to a podcast where they were kind of saying about that the girl could, could come in and sing it amazingly, but if it doesn't sound 100% safe, they won't, she's out of the running. They'd rather she a slightly less talented vocalist came in but sounded safer singing it and that's who they'll go with because at the end of the day every time she needs to step out a swing or a standby needs to be paid and that's more money out of their pocket. Uh, I think sorry sorry, I think sometimes with uh, the pop rock style you can hear when it's not safe Um, but then other times when you can hear that say someone's doing a a growl effect or something but they're doing it right then it's nice to listen to like sometimes the sort of dreamy stuff can be a bit like oh but if it sounds good then it's probably safe and they probably know what they're doing Chesney what do you think yeah to be to be fair I'm I'm sort of in that in that ballpark with Abby I think where I'm, I'm sort of on on the fence with it I don't have um sort of massively strong opinions either way I sort of see both aspects in the sense that like yes it can be dangerous if you're not you know if you don't have the technique but that could be said about 
anything in the history of humanity. Like if you, if you were never taught how to ride a bike and then you try to ride a bike, you'll probably fall off and hurt yourself. If you've never been taught properly and you don't have the technique to do this contemporary pop rock style singing, you're probably gonna hurt yourself. If you've been taught and you know how to do it, you probably won't. It's as simple as that in my eyes. Um, and as well, I, um, I sort of see that the issue with, um, I think the only issue that I have with this sort of, this style is, is the sort of song structure within musical theater. I think Jordan made a point on this, but like with, with a musical theater song, you've got that sort of like very slow, sometimes almost half spoken verse going into like the chorus, but like the lower down or the slower version of the chorus. And then it builds up to the big final chorus at the end. Whereas with a musical, with a, with a pop song, you've got this like A, B, A, C, B format usually, where it's like a relatively big verse, big chorus, verse, big middle section, big, big verse at the end. And there's, there's sort of no build. It's just up and down and up and down. And I think, yeah, it doesn't really work massively most of the time within the story, but going along with Sadie's point, it's you've sort of got to find that story. If, if the story isn't obvious in the song, you've got to sort of figure out in your head what you're going to make that story be and see how well you can portray that. It's sort of, if anything, it just gives a little bit more work and a little bit more creative freedom to the person performing it. And I think musical theatre writers now seem to be kind of, well, I say this, then everything that comes out is like crazy high, but I feel like more uh, writers do kind of consider vocally what they're asking of when they're writing stuff. Like Andrew Lloyd Webber, like famously writes stuff like in a place of your voice that is really uncomfortable to sing in. But he ha is now apparently like really considerate when he writes songs because he now, he now understands that asking somebody to sing this crazy stuff eight times a week can have a really long lasting impact and therefore that he has now more consideration for how he writes songs and vocally what he expects of people uh but another thing i wanted to talk about is the variety of shows that are now there to cater to different audiences i went to see bat out of hell at the dominion and without going into it too much, I, uh, I had a lot of opinions on Battered of Hell, but to cut a long story short, it wasn't for me. However, the woman in front of me had the best night of her life. She had a meatloaf merchandise t-shirt on, so that may have had something to do with it, perhaps. Um, but she potentially is someone that isn't a regular theatre goer, doesn't have much of an interest in it but there was a show that appealed to her and she paid probably a lot of money for that third row seat and she brought friends will probably tell more friends may even pay to come back and see it again maybe multiple times and I think that alone is amazing because it's the theatre industry getting money and it's and more importantly keeping cast crew band front of house, et cetera, et cetera, employed, which is like the priority, especially for us as somebody that kind of wants to go into that. Um, however, in the increase of these shows that are kind of, well, I suppose I am talking about jukebox shows, in regards to these shows that are like relying on the music and they're being designed around the music, I feel like the quality of the storytelling is starting to be slightly lost. Like another example was when, um, and Abby, you came to see this with me as well, Tina. I feel like I walked into Tina expecting to love it because I'm a massive Tina Turner fan, but it kind of felt like the selection of songs were so random and were just kind of shoved in there for no real apparent reason. And that was one of the... There were some amazing things about the show, but just one thing that I kind of found strange was that it really did make it clear that, oh, you've just slotted that song in there just to get another one in. Um, 
so yeah, I just I think maybe the storytelling is being lost, or at least the quality of the storytelling. And it feels like you could be an amazing actress with a great voice, but if you can't sustain Tina Turner songs eight times a week, if you can't sustain Demi Lovato songs eight times a week, you're gonna have a tougher time. So yeah, what do we think? Is the storytelling starting to suffer? Sadie, what do we think? Okay. I am very conflicted with this because I do love a jukebox musical. I, I'm a pop rock gal, like any rock musical, Rock of Ages, American Idiot, like you name it, I do absolutely love them. But I did my practice dissertation on this topic. So I did a lot of research into it. The incre- like you say, the increase in like people that wouldn't normally go to the theater it's helped the theatre industry so much in that way. But on the other side, the ba- there's so many bad reviews from theatre critics. It's awful. Like, if you looked at the, the reviews for these jukebox musicals compared to new writing, even if it's based on a movie sometimes, like, say, Waitress, for example, like, you wouldn't think that... You wouldn't necessarily think that that was based on anything. But obviously, because the musical wasn't... The, the, the movie, sorry, wasn't as popular as the musical became. Um, I'll take that as an example. The jukebox musicals are so badly reviewed by theatre critics, it can, in a way, outweigh the fact that there is people that want to see it for just the fact that it's got Meatloaf songs, the fact that it's got American uh, Green Day songs, sorry. So it can be... It fluctuates very, very much, and... In a way, I think it has been quite detrimental to new musical theatre writing because if you take Anne Juliet, for example, which is packed full of pop songs, if that same story was written about Juliet without using pop songs, would it be that popular? Would it have a space in the West End? Would it be running eight shows a week with a packed out crowd? And I just don't think it would, which is quite upsetting. Like, I think the storytelling definitely has suffered in that way because of some of the music that doesn't fit. But again, like I say, swings and roundabouts, it can differ throughout. Chloe, what do we think? Um, I think it would be unfair to sort of say that all jukebox musicals don't have a storyline because some do and they are easy to follow. But I think that with jukebox musicals, obviously people would kind of go away from seeing them thinking about the songs rather than thinking about the story. And it kind of just makes them want to listen to those songs and more of that artist rather than think, oh, I'd love to go back to the theatre again and be transported and told a story. I think it's huge for our industry because it keeps people employed. It keeps, you know, cast, crew, creatives in business constantly. But I think that at the expense of regular theatre goers, you know, someone that's a huge Meatloaf fan would go and see Bat Out of Hell. And when that's not on the West End anymore, they probably won't go and see any other shows. But musical theatre fans will go and see all different types of musical theatre shows, whether they're jukebox or not. So I think that by putting on, you know, purely jukebox musicals to appeal to people that might not want to go to the theatre all the time, we do risk alienating people that are fans of musical theatre. You know, they are there for the story, they are there to be transported. They don't really care what it's based on or what it's about. So I think it's it's a balancing act, definitely. It keeps people employed, but is it a long-term solution to a problem? I don't think so. Something I seem to say just from the shows that I've seen and the, the shows I know of, I don't feel like the storytelling seems to be as much of an issue for jukebox shows that aren't, that are more of a music era. So like Anne Juliet, um, Rock of Ages, that's not a particular artist. That's that genre of music. Whereas shows that I think We Will Rock You, Tina, um, these shows that are all the the repertoire of music they have to pick from is more limited because it has to be by that artist. And I feel like, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I feel like in the shows that I've seen, 
Tina and Weeble Rocky being examples, were they, in terms of the actual script, were they masterpieces? No. I think Weeble Rocky kind of even knows that in the show. I feel like the show mocks itself and that's why people don't take it too seriously. Um, but I don't know. It's just just a thought. But uh, Abby, what do we think? I think it really depends on the show because I was just like thinking through jukebox musicals I've seen and what I choose to see. And I think as many jukebox shows that I've seen and would probably not give a great review, I've seen new shows, all original writing and thought exactly the same thing. Um, so it really comes down to the show. Um, but I definitely think that storytelling is not the most important thing with these types of shows and it's it they are money makers and they are making the money so they're not going to go anywhere they're they're going to keep coming and like from the success of Anne Juliet you can just see how well jukebox musicals do and I I do think that they bring a different type of audience and having worked in front of house I saw that a lot with like the touring jukebox shows it would be a very different like that sort of your hen night crowd opposed to your theatre going crowd and they're very very different and they have different they go to the theatre for different experiences like what we go to the theatre for is the story and the show and to, to escape and be taken away by the show and what they go for is the music and to have a drink and a good time and they're just very different experiences that these shows bring. Um, but yeah, depending on the show, I still think that they can be enjoyable for, for theatre goers. But also when I think about like who reviews shows, they are theatre critics. So they're also going to see plays at the National and that's what they're comparing. Everything is all compared in the same level. And I think there's shows that, with £15 tickets which are selling out every single night which are literally there to make money and then there's shows which have, have had so much go into the writing and the story and they're not they're not selling out but they're they're really good shows as well so it really depends that like on the individual show I think. Anthony what do we think? Um, I am of the opinion that there hasn't been a jukebox musical written in the last 10 years that has done uh any good I think they've all done more harm than good to our industry I think we've I think we've reached a tipping point with jukebox musicals um because you look at like early 2000s late 90s jukebox musicals um you look you look at stuff like Jersey Boys um you look at stuff like Mamma Mia um which you know obviously they're cheesy they're fun but they also they do have a decent storyline and a storyline that people can actually remember. Whereas when I went to go see Anne Juliet with Chloe, one, I didn't want to go see it because I thought it would be good. I wanted to see it because I wanted to have a laugh. Um, and I don't remember what the story was. I do not, I, I remember that Anne Juliet, well, not, not Anne Juliet, sorry, Juliet doesn't die. That's all I remember. I can remember some other terrible parts, but we won't go into that. I just do not think that jukebox musicals do our industry any good because yes they bring in crowds for one show they bring in audiences for one show who will never come back to see that show or any other show again and it also completely alienates musical theatre fans and Juliet to my recollection in the four years I've lived in London is the only jukebox musical I've been to see and I do feel like there's a lot of musical theatre fans of all generations, not just not, not including our generation. I would say the vast majority of musical theatre fans that are older than us would have no intention of ever going to see shows along the lines of Anne Juliet, even though it's not a, a jukebox musical, but along the lines of Six, for example, that sort of thing. These sort of more modern styled musicals, which they have their place for a particular audience. But for a musical theatre audience, I think well, ones like myself or um, a lot of people that like value story or value song structure and songwriting, I just think it alienates more than it brings in. Can I ask, 
Mm. Because this is just, I'm curious, do you think you're saying that as somebody who you go see plays just as often, if not mm-hmm. more than you would see musicals, and you're very, very, I suppose, play-driven and story-driven, do you think you're saying that as someone with that in mind because of the fact that you're seeing so much straight acting and because of the fact that that's something that you particularly are so deeply passionate about and love to see? Do you think that's why yeah. you have that opinion? I, I think I'm, I'm sort of in this, I'm in a situation where like the thing I value the most when I go and see something is like, is the substance of it. Like I can, I'm sort of one of those people that, you know, annoyingly, I wish that I could sit and watch uh, a glitzy, uh, flashy, um, pointless thing and enjoy it. And sometimes I can, but like when I go to the theatre for my personal taste, it is to sort of like enrich myself in air quotes, if if that makes sense. And so this is why I say I do I do see that there are there are people that want to go and see that sort of thing, but I don't know sort of how much repeat business or what else they would go and see again after seeing that show. Do you, um, just because I'm curious again, do you happen to have a favourite jukebox show? Um, do I have a favourite jukebox musical? Um, weirdly enough, it's, it's a bit of a uh, slightly obscure one. Um, probably Return to the Forbidden Planet. Because it's 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 a bit of fun. It's it's got that those sort of sci-fi themes which I love, and it's written in Shakespearean language. There's like there's a lot going on to it more than just than just the music. Siri, favorite jukebox show? American Idiot. Oh, <clears throat> that's a, that's that's a close second. Yeah, I just think as as much as I love Green Day music, I think it's one of the best fitting storylines that goes with. The jukebox musical another thing about american idiot i got really lucky i got to see that show with the american cast they came to dublin and i saw it was like the international tour and what i loved about american idiot yes the jukebox show but i thought it was so clever and i thought it was so artistic which i wasn't expecting i was just kind of expecting it to be like stomp but with vocals just people going ah but I, I thought American Idiot was amazing. Uh, Chloe, favourite jukebox show? Mamma Mia. Mm-hmm. Probably no surprises there, but um, <laughs> I just love it. It's fun, it's summery, it's wholesome, and it's just great. I love ABBA. When that comes on in the club, well, watch out. So <laughs> I, I do love Mamma Mia, and I have seen it multiple times, and will continue to see it. Abby, favourite jukebox show? I have two because I couldn't decide. Um, Rock of Ages and The Bodyguard. Mm. I was going to say mine's The Bodyguard. I saw it twice and I, I, I wish I would try to see it again and then COVID said no. So, right. Next thing. I think the theatre industry in the UK, because I do think Broadway, as you said last week, Chloe, Broadway does differ slightly with their palette, shall we say. Um, But I think the theatre industry in the UK relies heavily on the selling point of a show. So people want either a jukebox, they want movie adaptions, they want to go see soap actors from Corey or Hollyoaks in the leads. And this now seems like the basis of what a show needs to do commercially well. Um, especially, Especially to tour to smaller places. I feel like unless a show has that that drive behind it, oh, oh, flash dances in town, oh, and Elvis musicals in town, in smaller towns, it's like very difficult to get the attention to that show. Um, so do you think this means with the demand of this kind of commercial hype and this buzz that shows need to create to have that audience pull and have people come see it? Do you think this means that legit shows that don't necessarily have that commercial pull are truly being stamped out? And when I say commercial pull, I mean like, I feel like shows like Sound of Music and Singing in the Rain 
will always do well. There are household classics, household shows, they will always do well wherever they go. I'm kind of talking about the shows that maybe aren't necessarily as iconic as those. Do you feel like they are well and truly being stamped out? Sadie? Sadly, yes, in my opinion. Um, I think unless you grew up with that kind of music, like you say, the the classic household well-known names like Sound of Music, Singing in the Rain, they will stick around because they're things that our parents or our grandparents have shown us and like enriched us with that knowledge of. But in terms of the things like Kiss Me Kate or your South Pacific, it's not the, the go-to that you'd show your kid. So I think unless you grew up watching those musicals, these new new stories are coming in and say like Hamilton, for example, it's not a jukebox musical. It's, ba- it's based on history, yes. And same with Six, I guess. They're the shows I think that will become the household classics that this generation growing up shows our children. And like, I think they're the things that, I mean, as time goes on, what happened before the golden age, the 1920s, what happened before that? We're not showing that. So I feel like that's the way that it's just going to progress. And it's just how how life evolves. Oh, Chloe, what do you think? Well, unsurprisingly, I disagree. I think that there will always be a demographic that wants to see legit shows. And not just, you know, the well-known legit shows, obscure ones. There is always going to be your musical theatre purists that really want to see it done really want to see it revived you know will it be on a huge scale maybe not although 42nd street ran for over two years at the biggest theater in london so i don't think you can really sort of have any idea of what's going to go down well but i think you know older people are they represent a huge percentage of people that attend the theater regularly because they've got more money and you know when they grew up the music that was in the Berlin shows and in the Rodgers and Hammerstein shows, that was their pop music, you know? They were listening to that on the radio every single day and that's why they want to go and see those shows. And I think that, you know, we all have a nan that loves the sound of music. Therefore, we love the sound of music because we associate it with that. So I think, you know, coupled with the older generation, people that know someone from the older generation that loves legit musicals and musical theatre purists, I think there'll there'll always be a market for it. So I don't think that it will ever fade out entirely. Are Um, I think it's a generational thing. So like Chloe was saying, there's always going to be that older generation wanting to see those shows being produced. But whether it will be on the same scale as as the new contemporary stuff is kind of... That's the question because, like you were saying, Broadway is slightly different, but in the UK it feels like legit just doesn't really do as well. Um, but there's definitely still a market for it, and I would love for there to be more legit shows so that I could go and see them. And I think experiencing them in person is so much different than watching them, even watching the original films with Gene Kelly. And yeah, it's amazing, but actually like from my experience of going to see legit shows i think it's it's a it's a whole other a whole other thing that you don't experience so i hope that they don't die out but i do think eventually uh, like sadie was saying the new generation of contemporary shows will that will become our thing and like the golden age will just eventually sort of peter out and that'll be the new old and then there'll be more stuff coming out and it's just the way that it sort of evolves it's like what you said though like you wish there would be more like I do think for the most part anyway like when you do see something a bit different something legit it does kind of it's like a welcome relief because as much as I love you know all the the pop rock stuff and the belty stuff which I really really do love when when you're so oversaturated with it you know a legit show around the corner it is it is a relief even things like city of angels as an example that we got to see really luckily even though they only did like five shows before covid hit 
Um, even that, that's not a legit show, but it just was a real, it's just something different. You know what I mean? I just, adding on to what Abby was saying, like, I feel like after this pandemic, the theatre shows that are on are going to become like this new golden age. Like if you think back to the Roaring Twenties when everything reopened, people go on about that and they were the stuff that stuck around. So I feel like as soon as this pandemic's over and people can go to the theatre, they're more likely to go to the theatre and these are the shows that will be talked about in, this is obviously in years time now, saying like in 50 years time from here, but we'll be looking back and it will be the shows that after the pandemic people go to see. I think, though, to sort of provide a counter argument to that, the popularity of the music in these new sort of this new golden age of shows is a lot more diluted than the original golden age shows, because now, as well as these shows, we have pop music and we have Netflix and we have Amazon Prime and all these other mediums of entertainment that we didn't have in the golden age. So I don't know if in 50 years time people will remember six but whether they want to see it in the same way as the older generation want to see the sound of music or singing in the rain and will always remember it. I think there's just too much around these days to distract us. So I don't know if theatre can ever be mainstream in the way that it was in the golden age. And therefore the golden age was the golden age. And I don't think that we can ever have a renaissance in that way where it enters the mainstream because there's just too many other options now. Tell what we think. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I completely refuse to call the era we're in any kind of golden age. I, I'm not going to do that. That's my, that's my personal opinion anyway. Um, I will say, I think that there always will be some form of niche for legit musicals in London. In terms of touring, it's already dead. You won't get legit shows on tour ever again, in my opinion. Like, it's not going to happen. Because, like, you, I live in Torquay. Uh, I, our local theatre is the Princess Theatre. We get the same five shows coming to us every single year. We get the Thriller Live tour. We get, like, the Priscilla tour, for some reason, comes to us quite a lot. And then, we, you know, you get your usual, like, modern day, or we get these weird, like, tribute shows, but we won't talk about those. But you do not get... You don't see a UK tour of Carousel. And that's, you're never going to see that again. I just think that in terms of outside of London, where there isn't a high volume of theatre purists, you're going to get Thrill Alive on tour until you die. I think using Sadler's Wales is a really good thing because it's a wee bit more spenny. You're providing a nice day out for the people that, are happy to drive up to Sadler's Wells and buy that carousel ticket, buy that Singing in the Rain ticket. I think it's smart to utilise, and Regent's Park as well. I feel like you're providing a nice day out, wheelchair access. It's just, it's like, it's a smarter way to utilise a legit show in a way that you know it'll sell. Anyway, so I want to ask now, just because it's fun, what are some of your favourite contemporary shows right now they can be shows that are currently or were currently uh, on the West End on Broadway or shows that maybe haven't been around in a while but shows that you love and why say that oh it was impossible for me to decide I have been racking my brain all afternoon trying to think what my like number one would be and I just can't pick one so like I said earlier American Idiot and I gave my reasons I just think the storyline fits brilliantly like it's so clever and I just love Green Day music Um, a little lesser known one I'm gonna throw Bear a pop rock uh, a pop opera in there and I, I just think the subject matter and the content in that show the storylines there's a bit of everything and I think that it's just it can be a very educational show and people yeah, I think it needs to be seen on a wider a wider range. I think Bear, score-wise, is like one of the most underrated shows ever. Completely, completely agree. And 
my fight well I, I was gonna throw come from away in there but I feel like someone else might have an opinion on that so we'll leave that one for someone else um and my final is I know it's edging slightly to like less, <clears throat> less contemporary but hair the way that hair is I just think it can never get old because I just love the hippie, the hippie movement, everything about it. You don't go with the intention to see a brilliant storyline. You go with the intention to just enjoy, vibe away. And I just think it's everything I love. It's the multicolored life that I'd love to live. Before we move on to Chloe, I just want to make clear that the five of us in this chat all have a mutual passion and love for Come From Away. Is there anybody in particular mm -hmm. that wants to volunteer uh, when it comes to come from away just to get it out of the way so we're not repeating ourselves any volunteers Jordan I think you're probably the best to talk about it yourself to be honest okay well I, I'll go um, so in regards to shows that are currently on come from away oh wow um, I've seen it three times and I once it opens again pray to God it does I plan to go back many more times some of the things I love about come from away you you can't get away with not being very fucking talented to be in that show. I feel like it is so cleverly designed. I think initially when I first went to see it, I thought, oh my God, there's no interval. Oh God. Coming out the other side, I was like, thank God there wasn't because it takes you out of it. Come from away feels relentless. And I feel like it needs to, given the subject matter. I feel like it's about... 9-11 but not about 9-11 and the fact that nobody actually says in the show at any point the words 9-11 or like what fully goes into what happened because then I feel like it's very easy to make a musical about 9-11 but the show does a really good job of talking about it without talking about it. I feel like every person there they are earning their money especially to be a swing in that show oh my god even knowing where the chairs go beautifully written I love that it doesn't necessarily it doesn't celebrate one per person more than the other the big song from Come From Away is um, Me In The Sky but the show is designed that you don't even clap after that song it's just like on to the next on to the next I think it's intelligent I think it's amazing it's emotional different parts get me every time and I can say I think for all of us that when it opens back up, we will all be there. Very, very excited. And yeah, is that all? Is that fair to say, everybody? Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. Um, Chloe. Oh no, sorry, sorry. Before I need to say another show. Um, I love, love, love. Um. Oh my. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, what do you love, John? What do you love? A show, what is it? A show, I, I can never say my favourite. I can never say my favourite because I never know. But a show that has always been up there for me is Rent. Mm -hmm. Rent is a show. Rent is a show that I can't forget about, move away. But it's never a show I've ever gotten sick of. Anytime a Rent song comes on, I'm like, oh! I think it is. Back in the day when it did come out, it like changed theatre entirely. I think I think we can kind of thank Rent for like the pop rock era, to be honest with you. I think we can thank Hair for the early pop rock stuff. And then we can thank Rent for like the post 2000 pop rock stuff. I think Rent is amazing vocally. It's such an amazing show. It's a show that I would adore to do, but I would genuinely play any part. It's that type of show that I'm like, I just want to be in that. Um, but yes, Rent. Oh, Chloe, go for it. Um, so I've got two, although I do completely, utterly and wholeheartedly agree with Come From Away. It is one of the best things I've ever seen and I cannot wait to be able to see it again. So I definitely do agree with that. My two are Next to Normal and Dogfight. I think both of them are examples of shows that the story and the writing is just world class. In both of them, they have amazing songs that people get to really sing and show off their voice, but it's never, nothing is ever written to show off or to be, a, you know, about the music. It all fits perfectly with the story. And it's kind of like what you were saying, um, after a big song come from where you don't even get a chance to clap. It's dogfight, especially is kind of one like that because you're just on to the next thing and 
you are there from start to finish in a full story. And I think obviously, as we've discovered through our conversation today, that's very rare in contemporary musicals. So to go and be completely absorbed in a story for two and a half hours and you know follow the arcs and the ups and downs and get emotionally attached to those characters is just so rare. And I just want to shout out to those two because I mean, the score is beautiful and you know the people in it are amazing but I never go away thinking, you know, oh, she had an amazing voice. No, it's all about the characters in the story. And I think that's so important. Do you find that those two shows in particular, it's another show where it would be really, really uncomfortable if the entire cast weren't all phenomenal actor-singers? You know what I mean? I feel like you'd rather the, the vocal be a bit rougher there because especially with Next to Normal, like whoever plays that mum, if they brought someone from Hollyoaks in to play that, it would just ruin the entire thing. I watch the Tony Award performance of You Don't Know literally once a month. Like I always revisit that. I love that show and you've just reminded me and it's unlocked memories. So good. Everything about it. And I think the fact that you can't have bad people in it shows how good of a show it actually is because you need to be such a high calibre to even get away with portraying the message of the show. And I think that's that's the way all theatre should be. It shouldn't be about having somebody we know to come in and sing a few songs. It's a narrative and a story. And I think that's what we often miss with jukebox musicals. So those two are just examples of amazing storytelling. Oh, Chloe, music to my ears. Abby? Uh, I literally couldn't choose one show. But when I was thinking about my favourite shows that I've seen like the main thing for me I can listen to a show and enjoy it but for a show to be like up there in my top five it's all about the actual theatrical experience because I've seen some amazing shows but I've just like not been in it and whether that's down to the actual show or the mood I was in but like the whole theatrical experience definitely goes into it for me so one of my like all-time favorites is Miss Saigon because the music just like evokes emotions that I can't even explain like literally as soon as the orchestra starts I'm like wow just I'm, I'm gone um and then what else did I have on my list um I saw Anastasia on Broadway and for some people they probably I'd say it's not a Marmite show but I feel like other people probably wouldn't enjoy it as much as I did but because it was like one of my favorite childhood films I was very invested in it and it was the first Broadway show I ever saw and I was front row like you just couldn't get a better experience really and then also parade because I was in it and the story is just incredible like I would do that show every day for the rest of my life if I could and honourable mentions come from away, of course. Like I've I've never had an experience like that in London, I don't think, on seeing a show on the West End. Um, and having like a personal connection to the show as well, because one of the characters is based on someone that I'm related to. So like the first time seeing it, I didn't really know anything about it before I saw it. But I was the same when I went to see Hamilton. Any show that has a lot of hype around it, I'm like, I'm not going to listen to the cast recording. I'm not going to read anything about it. I'm just going to go and experience it for myself. And that it just blew me away. I want to ask about Parade because I, as someone that saw that production, when I'm watching it done on a small scale, I'm like, oh, why isn't this, mm. why isn't this done on a bigger scale? Only because like, you know, as from being in it, the quality of music, the quality of storytelling is like out of this world. A lot of the time, seeing that small scale production of Parade, even though it's feels smaller scale compared to other things that are on in London at the time, it's the best ticket in town. And I'm like, oh, it's just sometimes you're sat there watching it going, why, why, why isn't everybody here seeing this? A short run of a show that you know artistically is like phenomenal but you know that it's... I don't, what am I trying to ask? No, I get what you're saying completely. And I, I, like, I'd love to be able to go and see it on the West End on a bigger scale and it do amazingly. But then I also think, would that take away from how special the show is and that experience that I had? And yeah, it was only... We only did it for five days. But like, I'll, I'll never forget that. And I'm so grateful for the people that did get to see it because what we created was amazing like I 
um, like wholeheartedly say that's one of the best shows I've ever. Uh, we were so proud to to put it on, and I'd love to see because I think it's such a well written show. I'd love to see it do more, but obviously it just it just didn't do well for itself on Broadway or West End. It just it just didn't work. But it's all down to personal opinion because I personally didn't really enjoy Les Mis and I think Miss Saigon's better and I'd rather have go and see that in the West End but it's just what what sells and what works for a West End audience. I do find that a lot of shows do seem to do better in an intimate space. I remember I saw Heather's three times when it was on once in the other palace and then the other two times when I transferred to the Haymarket and I much preferred it in the other palace because I feel like some shows just suit an intimate venue. Do you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, but Chesney, what do we think? I think Heather's suits a, a bin bag is where that should too. <laughs> right, I'm well aware of the fact that I've been like Gordon Ramsay in this episode. Um, I've been the uh, I've been the horrible mean man that's shooting down everyone's opinions. Um, so I've got two shows here. Uh, one that sort of goes along with everything I've said so far and one that proves that I'm the world's biggest hypocrite. Uh, The first show uh, is A New Brain by James Lapine. Uh, For anyone who knows me, knows that I've sung the song I'd Rather Be Sailing from A New Brain probably every day for the last eight years. Um, I just think it's one of the most beautifully written shows. The storyline is so in-depth and intelligent. Uh, Lapine's writing throughout the whole thing, a sung-through show, is stunning. Uh, and my second, my other favourite contemporary show, uh, I'm sorry about this, guys, is Footloose. Footloose is top tier. I'm so sorry that we, uh, that well, I wasn't going to be it anyway, but uh, it was going to be one of our third year shows. Um, I just think it's just one of the best. The music is awesome. Uh, the story is terrible. Um, in terms of like, if you were to sit down and go, oh, we're going to write a show and the storyline is it's a town where dancing is banned. The idea of it on paper is terrible. In practice, top tier. Footloose is up there. One of the best shows ever, in my opinion. I do have a third show, but I'm going to save that for a bit. To be fair, in terms of um, movie adaptions, I feel like Footloose is one of the more solid ones. Oh, yeah. In terms of Footloose, I think it's a great show when done properly, mm-hmm. but I must just shout out to the fact that it should never be done as actor muso. Because I saw the tour and I'm sorry, it doesn't work. It nope. doesn't work. That's just I one can, thing I wanted to say. I can also attest to that because I saw that production and watching somebody jeté across the stage <laughs> whilst playing an instrument was something I, I never want to see again. <laughs> The actor muso thing, I think it's a, an amazing talent. However, I did see the sister actor with Alexandra Burke that was actor muso for the most part. And I really thought every scene that included actor muso stuff ruined it entirely. And it was clunky and uncomfortable. And it just, for me, let down the show because it was some very talented people. I'd like to see more actor muso shows that are new and are written for that rather than mm-hmm. adapting old shows and trying to make it suitable because I saw that production as well and I just I thought it was distracting and it didn't work and there's it takes away from what could be an amazing thing to have actor musicians putting on a show and and sh- showcasing their skills but it just there needs to be the shows that actually make it work rather than making it look silly. I think Amelie is a perfect example of that. I thought that was incredible at the other palace and the way that that was done was spot upon. Chef's kiss. I think also we're going to need a lot more acting muso shows because is it me or in the last five years has every single drama school now got an acting muso course? And I think it's, you know, the amount of people coming out of those courses is making an, an already very small industry so so oversaturated for the amount of actor muso shows there are you know you've got hundreds of grads coming out every year and hopefully you know that means that more shows will be written and you know the more shows that are written the more practice 
people kind of get at adapting shows for them hopefully they will be of a better quality but I do agree that some shows you know will leave the instruments in the pit I think right so the last thing I want to ask is what shows would you like to see revived and even if they haven't um, been in London before what shows would you like to see revived and would you make any altercations to how it is typically done Sadie I would like to see the 20th anniversary tour of Rent revived and I want it to have a permanent place in the West End forever. It was amazing. Like I travelled from Leicester to Tunbridge Wells to see it on its final night because I was so obsessed with it. I think I saw it three times in total because obviously it was touring so it was a lot harder to see it repetitively. Um, I think especially now that the series It's a Sin has been released and everyone's raving and roaring about that and it's obviously shone a massive light on the AIDS crisis like I think it'd be perfect time bring it back give it a space to and especially because it was a tour it was it's obviously a lot harder for you to go and see it and if it's in London beeline straight for it most amazing directing choreographing from Lee Proud oh it was insane and so that's my number one choice um I would also like this is more of out of curiosity because Eugenius was meant to transfer to the ambassadors and it never got there and I would love to see how they would do that on a larger scale out of the other palace because I think it worked really well like you say some some shows just work really well in a small environment this is just out of curiosity I'd like to see how that would be on a bigger scale not sure whether it would work in my opinion but we should see and my final little thrown in there i want bandstand to come straight over from broadway exactly how it is and put it on the stage thank you mm-hmm. well wait what we think um i would love to see kinky boots come back mm-hmm. i saw it so many times and not only is it extremely entertaining it also amplifies LGBT and black voices in a way that you know those communities are so underrepresented in theatre and I think that it's very very needed I don't know why it ever left the West End because to my knowledge you know I saw it loads of times and it was always really popular um in terms of alterations I think that's up to the communities that are represented in that show if they feel like there's a more effective way to you know amplify their voice and communicate their stories to people then that's you know totally up to them it's not really my place to you know have a judgment call on that but the second show that I would love to bring back is Billy Elliot I feel that the West End is worse off for not having Billy Elliot I walk through Victoria and it feels like a desolate barren empty place now that Billy Elliot <coughs> is not there it is amazing scores amazing storytelling characters you know working class representation it is it ticks all the boxes of things I love to see and I think that it you know will always be popular. Abby what we saying? Well I would like to see uh, the revival of Hello Dolly that was supposed to come to London during lockdown and then because I don't know if they've announced that it's been postponed but I haven't seen anything about it so I'd like because obviously that theatre it was only for a like August for a couple of weeks just in between shows before another show was going in so whether it will still be in the same theatre or what the plan is with that and another show that I'd like to see revived is West Side Story which I know it's a show that's done a lot but I'd like to see a like a modern take on it but see it like in the West End and do well. I actually got to see a slightly modern take on it at the Curve um, I think it was, oh, well, it wasn't this Christmas just gone. It was, must have been the Christmas before that, before the pandemic. And I found it so interesting to watch because it was completely different. But it had, obviously, it's Romeo and Juliet. It's always going to resonate. So I completely agree with you. And I think that that, well, not necessarily that particular production of it, but the same style of modernising it would be perfect to, well, it needs to be seen for a bigger audience. I agree. Chesney, what we think? Uh, just whilst we're on the subject of um, of revivals, uh, I just want to take a moment to uh, 
to pray for the loss of the people who spent thousands of pounds hoping they were going to see Whoopi Goldberg, but now aren't <laughs> in Sister Act. Uh, so rest in peace to them and their wallets. Um, I was this close to, to picking Billy Elliot as well, actually. Um, but then I realised that there is only one show that I, that I want to see back. I don't want it to change in the slightest. I want the original cast. And if the lead male <laughs> can't be in it, then they shouldn't do it. That show is called The Grinning Man. The Grinning Man, in my opinion, is one of the best shows written in the last 10 years. I think the music in it's awesome. If you don't have Louis Maskell in it, there's no point because he's fantastic. The whole staging looks brilliant. I want to see Grinning Man back as soon as possible. Thank you very much. Would you want it on the same scale? Would you want it in the same type of venue or would you want to see it on a bigger stage? Because I think it'd be very different. I, I, that's it. It's a, that's a good question. I think I would like it um, in a possibly slightly bigger scale, but I don't want it in like a 3000 seater. Like it was originally at the, uh, well now Trafalgar Theatre, it was originally Trafalgar Studios. Um, if you put it in like, the other palace, that'd be nice. Go in there, I'd be happy with that. But I don't want it at I don't want it at the Haymarket. So I have a list. Hmm. So the first show I want to come back, it's already been mentioned, Billy Elliot. Billy Elliot is a show that I feel like people forget about because it's not necessarily one that you would have on in the background when you're cooking. However, when you experience it live, it's like the best thing ever. And I definitely had that experience when I went to see Billy Elliot. I think to this day, it's probably one of, if not the best live theatre experience I've ever had. It's not my favourite show by any means, but my favourite theatre experience. Just so well done. Um, another thing I would love to see done is Wicked with a full-time Black Glinda. Yeah. Not Black Alpha, but Black Glinda. Because I feel like, well, I feel like the fact that there hasn't been a full-time Black alphabet on Broadway is, like, really, really shocking, especially because she's ostracised for the colour of her skin. But anyway, um, because we have had a full-time Black alphabet in London, I think it'd be really, really cool to see a full-time Black Glinda. Um, a show that's never came to London that I adore, Aida. Yes! The music in Aida is unbelievable there's a part for everybody it has a mixture of everything it's like oh they could use the set of prince of egypt they don't even need to like move anything it's just, aida i think is the, the fact that like it isn't everybody's favorite show confuses me um i want sideshow to come to london and do like an other palace run i think that is an amazing, amazing music in that show. Again, underrated. I want the Lippa version of The Wild Party because the music in that show is too good to be wasted. But I would love a trans woman to play Queenie. Um, another show, just because I want to uh, be in it, Taboo. And the last one is Spring Awakening. Mm -hmm. I adore Spring Awakening. And I do think, I definitely don't think Spring Awakening is underrated. I do think Spring Awakening is now like a really well appreciated show. Um, I just do. I would love, I, lo I would love to see it come back to London because I don't think it ran that long when it was here. I was just going to say, I think Spring Awakening is a really good one that you can experiment with. There is so many ways you can take that show and turn it on its head. Like when I did it at Stockwell Playhouse, like the way we did it, the subject matter we took so differently to the way that Broadway did it and like other West End when it was on did it so I um I think that's a good show that could easily be spun on its head um anything else anybody wants to add fun home it was such a short run in London and it was like for some reason impossible to get tickets mm -hmm. and I just think fun home is one of the most beautiful shows ever I think that they should come back and do you know other palace, Donmar Warehouse, that sort of venue. So people can get really up close and experience the story with the characters. I don't think it would, you know, Theatre Royal Drury Lane is not the place for Fun Home. But that does not mean that it doesn't need to be seen by as many people as possible. Bring it back. 
permanent brand. I would, I would love to see more shows that are led by women post 40. Do you know what I mean? I feel like we have like, we have Gypsy and that's kind of it. Or like Sweeney Todd. I feel like I would love more shows where they're led by older women, but they're not seen as like crazy old women. Yeah. You know what I mean? To just ignore their age. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, guys, there we go. That is the end of that is the end that's the end of legit versus contemporary that's the end of the show guys that's it we're done bye guys it has been an absolute joy chloe sadie it has been a joy to have you fight it out in the ring um we didn't necessarily come to a conclusion but i loved i loved hearing your thoughts so chloe thank you thank you so much thanks for having me sadie thank you Thank you for having me. I'm going to miss doing this little interlude every so often. Sadie, where can we find you on social? On my socials, you can find me at Sadie Annabelle underscore or my little keyring business, which is personalised keychains on Instagram. And there is a very exciting theatre update coming soon. So keep an eye out. Chloe, give us your socials. Chloe and Fry on everything. Abby. Abby O'Neill 17 on everything. Chesney. Instagram, ForksFitness underscore, TikTok, Chesney on stage. <laughs> and guys, you can find me at Jordan E.E. Donnelly on Instagram and Twitter. And you can find all the updates on the podcast on Instagram at tightlads underscore podcast. We are all going to do the outro, but guys, I want you to give me the outro as the ending to Wizard Night, but I want you to do your own alphabet riff, okay? So it'll be, stay tight, but you do your own thing, yeah? Okay, three, two, one. Stay Stay tight. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a new season we recommend. Hey, happy listener. I'm Yardley. And I'm Dan. And I'm Dave. And we are the hosts of the true crime podcast, Small Town Dicks. On our podcast, detectives from small towns all around the world give us their firsthand accounts of the memorable crimes they investigated in their small town. The new season of Small Town Dicks launches on September 17th. Meanwhile, if you're new to the podcast, we have over 118 episodes for you to binge until the new season starts. So please join us on September 17th for an original take on true crime. Small Town Dicks, available wherever you like to listen. ACAST, ACAST, ACAST recommends. recommends.